Okay, we're live. Yeah. We How are, are you, back. Tommy? I'm doing uh, I'm doing okay right now. Doing feels, all right. Feels like a long time since we've been behind these mics. Uh, it's probably because it has been. It's been, uh, what, two weeks, three weeks at least. Something like that. We stacked a few up. Yeah. Hey. Had a couple in the can, a couple waiting, you know, had them in the silo, ready to load under the train, send them into Breadtown, you know. Uh, would you like to hear um, a personal story or would you like to hear a story that's personal to Fresno? Or both? Uh, let's do both. How about let's hear both? Come on, bring it. All right. 1978 was my year, mm-hmm. um, which is not a, a story personal to Fresno. It was a different town. I was in a different town at that point. And I was seven, and um, the town had um, identical adult um, triplets. Wow. Two of whom were severely... For a moment, I thought you were going to say adult bookstores. That would really cool. <laughs> severely, <laughs> severely adult bookstores. Two, right. two of the um, identical triplets were um, severely um, mentally deranged, and one of them was an upstanding citizen. Mm, okay. Which is a bummer for that upstanding citizen, because he was always being identified as someone who did something. Yeah. And uh, we'd like to thank Bob for this year. So, uh, joining the sidewalk committee. Bob, get your head out of the potatoes. Oh, shoot, it's not Bob. Okay. <laughs> so I was seven, and one of them, who was one of those, not, the, not the upstanding citizen, it was a summer day, uh, and I was playing in my front yard, and he... Um, uh, came to talk to me and talked mm-hmm. me out of my pants on the front yard. Ah, okay. Excellent. All right. So, <laughs> so this my, just turned into therapy. So my, <laughs> what the that was fine. I was like, molestation. Well, it didn't. That's, that's, the, that's the thing. It, it, it didn't get the job done because my mother saw it. The window was aghast, did whatever gesture she did, came running out. I didn't understand. Like, I was just being friendly. <laughs> I feel the same way now, actually. Um, so it was an unsuccessful um, molestation. And then, but wow. later that year, what she was not fast enough for was the guy in the Payless shoe store who um, grabbed my shoe and started sniffing it wildly in front of me <laughs> the same year. Fuck yep. off. No, it was the same year. And he was, wow. <sighs> and I, I knew enough to just be weirded out, like shaken by Dude, the experience. I've seen your feet. Holy <laughs> shit. This poor bastard. But again. Why couldn't he have just found like a lobster carapace? I think <laughs> stick over his face like an oxygen mask. Might have been more wholesome. But once again, kind of an unsuccessful attempt at the young, um, vivacious uh, Joseph, I bet it did, but that it is your <laughs> your passionate love of uh, retarded triplets has really sort of come through. Well, no, the this guy—the the, the shoe sniffer was a different guy. I just want to be clear. Oh, I understand. I don't that. want to I, pin I, everything uh, on the <laughs> on the one guy. Oh no, sorry, that'd be unfair. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be unfair to the <laughs> pedophiles. No, you're so right. then, and Don't then there was guy. a guy in junior uh. high school. I was still seven, and he um, he was had a rivalry for some reason with my my best friend who was also seven. We would throw rocks at his house, and he would spend time as a thirteen year old throwing rocks back. He got us trapped in his clubhouse, and then sicked his dog on us, and told us he would the dog would bite us to pieces unless we showed him our hiney, which we did, and then we got out of there. Huh. Which I count again as an unsuccessful uh, attempt. 
He got no, isn't, no, isn't what that is because that, that also sounds like that might just be like this. Let's embarrass the youngsters. Like, it could like, be the kid, that kind of thing. It could be. Yeah, it kind of runs, but kind of runs both ways. I guess like, sniffing the shit was a little. Bit. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? I was just trying to embarrass him with this. No, no. no, he might have been actually unzipping his pants. I don't know, but <laughs> but nineteen seventy eight was a year where hey, I just want to say I was on fire that you year. Were on fuego, man. <laughs> <laughs> but also wow. it was a sad year for those three. Who never really got where I think they wanted to go, except perhaps your point well taken with the third person. Dude, I think it's the fact that you just got wow, you grew up, man. You learned the word Heine. Well also <laughs> Well also, I mean it's a sadness for me because <laughs> I am a poet. Oh right. Sorry. The fact that none of them were successful leaves me with oh a God, bereft of good material. Unscrewed. Yeah, you'd had a you'd had like a like some kind of a book award right now. Yeah. So, oh, incest survivor. <laughs> incest <laughs> molestation survivor. Oh my God, that would have been so. I mean, I'm not saying people should get no. molested, but if you no. want to be famous in the poetry world. That's not a bad place, and you're a white male. You should. That's probably your best bet. Mm, okay. Well, I'm not even going to weigh in on that, but, it, but I am going to say that that, you're that a white was male. 1970. Yeah, I was 1978. Wow. And it was a year of, uh, you know, unsuccessful. It was like blame it on Rio, but you know, <laughs> not as good. <laughs> with less confusing Des- with, Demi Moore, but with more dignity. <laughs> oh, holy shit! What was the name? God damn it. Blame it on Rio. Yeah, no, I remember. I was just trying to think. Who was the name of the other dad? The one was Michael Keane. Oh, yeah. Joseph Bologna or something. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. So anyway, oh. so that's the personal history. And then there's a bit of... I was reminded when I was thinking I think about 1978, all this. that was the year uh, that uh, I... Uh, hmm. two, two, two. Oh, good. I left my... I think I left... I don't know. Hmm. Will we ever know? Will what are you talking ever? about? Yeah, I don't know. I think it was a good thing I derailed it. For, oh, <laughs> for yeah? Oh, right save now. it for therapy. Go for it. Yeah, go. go so the Fresno history, I was reminded when I was thinking about all of this, of the Fresno history, which was, 19, uh, which was 1996, October of 1996, because I was back in town, mm-hmm. you know, after many unsuccessful attempts to, to escape Fresno. I was back in town. Mm-hmm. I was going to college. And a, a boy and a toddler in Fresno went missing. Hmm. And, um, you know, it was the usual sort of thing. The parents are on the news, you know, pleading for the child to be returned. Hold on. So I don't know why you're laughing. So, so pleading for the child to be returned. And there were all these sort of um, news reporters, you know, of course, bugging them. And, and there was one um, reporter. He was a radio reporter. And he got a series. I think I'm remembering this correctly here. Of in-depth interviews with the family, the mother, and how is it? How how does it feel? How are you feeling? Which is a stupid question to always ask. A parent. How does it feel? Right, right. Anyway, so they found the child floating in a nearby lake that week, hmm. and about a week later, mm-hmm. someone confessed to the crime. Yeah, it was the <laughs> radio reporter. Oh no. <laughs> God who damn. had been asking the mother, how do you feel? How does oh, this make you feel? Oh, my God. Was he wearing a tarp when he asked it? <laughs> well, weirdly, later on, about a year later, he recanted, and there was no evidence. Really? So he, well, he went on to teach high school. Wow. So, that sounds perfect. He wasn't my high school teacher. <laughs> he didn't get screened at all. <laughs> uh, by the way, just was, I was laughing not because you, they discovered Because you're birth. a bad person. That's why you were laughing. <laughs> because I just realized, oh, that's where we're going with this. Okay, right. So. Well, so yeah, that's, so you tell me. Where are we going with it? We are going to an, uh, a classic movie uh, head, uh, headlined. Uh, well, it's from being a comic for you. Starring uh, Peter Laurie called... 
1931. Actually, this whole episode's about the great actor Peter Lorre. Peter Lorre, man. Wow. Major film star, head, you know, uh, top build actor, and then something else later on, which we can get into. But we'll start yeah. with the first film, Peter mm-hmm. Lorre, mm-hmm. Fritz Lang's M. I think I want to say his first. It's his first sound film. I think it is his first. Sound he had film. done Metropolis, which I haven't seen, but you have. Oof, um, God damn, that's such a hard talked slog. about poorly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is his first sound film. It's mm-hmm. M, nineteen thirty one, and Peter Lorre's first sort of starring film. It's what catapulted him into fame, really. Yeah, it really catapulted him into fame. He might have had one or two other uh, roles um, that were sort of big, but this was his first big in a big. Yeah, you know what I mean, like the the first breakthrough role, and it was. Oh, something to behold. And yeah. I think I think you're saying, and I'm saying, like, why even beat around the bush? This is a fucking great movie. This is a fucking great movie. Dude. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, so, so the, the, obviously it's, the, it's the transition good. from from horrible slash delightful, in my case, childhood experiences mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. this is why we did all that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and me getting the coin on that one. But um, wow, what a great! I mean, it is it is a fantastic movie. It's a fantastic movie on so many different levels. Yeah. All right. I mean, just, just stepping back and talking about it from the, the standpoint of where it stands in history relative to you know sound sound movies and the work of Fritz Lang. Fritz we're Lang we're in the third year of talkies at this point. Right. Man, Fritz Lang basically, without much to work with, did an awful lot with sound. Oh, my God. Well, first, because I, I, I have a lot to say about that as well. I, you know what? Can we just give a, a brief synopsis of, of what the, the film is about? Well, so it, even the story's fucking great. This, this, it's this, so simple, though. It so could have been pedestrian, but it was amazing. And it's made amazing by this one twist. So it's Berlin, it's, 1931. Right. Berlin, 1931. And um, there, uh, what's his name? Peter Lorre, uh, M, plays a, a child molester slash killer. It, we're given the note at the beginning of the film that that some children have disappeared, right? And, and the parents in the neighborhoods of Berlin are worried about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this little girl is wandering her way home from work, from school, because no matter how much you tell kids run home, damn it, mm-hmm. they're still going to wander. At least one or one or two of them are going to be a dumbass. It's just the way that works. Blaming uh, the victim. What's that? Blaming the victim. Go well, ahead. she was. <laughs> she's. Uh, so basically, she falls under the. Uh, she falls under the. Um, the, the watchful gaze of M. Of M, Peter Lorre, who's so beautifully creepy. And it's it's an early sort of chubby. And childish. Oh, Childlike. he's got a, yeah. He it really, I, I feel that a lot of uh, modern sort of child horror characters like mm. Chucky have some sort of due um, owed to Peter Lorre. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. In a weird way. So, so anyway, so so we understand kind of before long this who long, the killer is. Right. It's we, this weirdo. This girl's wandering home, and then she doesn't make it home, and we follow her mom through the evening as it gets later and later through these really amazing shots yeah. into, her, into her room. A very rear window-esque. Yeah, well, it's, so this is, this is the kind of thing about his early use of sound, which is really interesting because mm-hmm. on the one hand, as a silent film director, any silent film director has to... Has to rely heavily on the visual metaphor. Right. Well, the first they had to over, um, uh, rely on overacting, huge mm-hmm. gestures, but, but really good silent filmmakers you know, focused on metaphors in order to get the point yeah. across, sort of pound at home. But Fritz Lang is, is delving into sound, and so we get these wonderful sort of split mediums here where, where we get um, parents, you know, the German parents talking to one another about their concerns about the safety of the mm-hmm. children, 
but we don't see them. We hear them as a soundtrack as we watch children play in right. these wonderful overhead shots of mm-hmm. kids playing, for instance, right? right? Right. Oh, and sound as metaphor. You know, Peter Laurie, whenever he's when he when he's in the mood, he starts whistling the Peer Gint Suite. Yeah, which you is know, the the, the, the mountain. mountain King. King. Yeah, yeah. Do it for us. Suddenly, I want to buy some shoes Joe, at Payless. Run, Josie. Run, little Joey. <laughs> so, so yeah. So there's there's all of that, and there's, it's also one of the first police procedurals, I guess. Which is right. I mean, is, am I correctly identifying that? You know. Oh no, 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 not one. I think I, I believe it is credited as the first genuine police procedural. How you know, uh, Law and Order also owes, owes a lot to M, right? A lot of our entertainment. Yeah. A lot of our, well, Jesus, Law & Order and Law & Order CSU, CSI, if you think about it, those are just those sure. are direct descendants of this. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. But it was a direct procedural, and it was, you know, in one sense, it was the, you know, the police and how scientifically they're now approaching yep. crimes sure. and things like that. Oh, and fingerprints and all mm-hmm. this, the scientific approach to it, you know. But one of the great conceits of this movie, one of the really sort of fascinating things, like the thing that I think that takes it, makes it very extraordinary is that the M is causing such a terror amongst the parents who are yep. raising such a ruckus amongst the police to get mm-hmm. this goddamn guy taken off the streets that the police are fucking with the livelihood of the criminal element of the city of Berlin. Now, this is not a completely new... I want to say it's the three-penny opera that has a very similar um, theme. It's uh-huh. like, how can you unionize the criminals, the brotherhood of criminals, for a common sort of cause or something like that? But right. but yeah, it is. it does, it does sort of... It it doesn't seat criminal against police. It seats police and criminal in different ways against this individual. Against this individual, right? And at the same time, it also sets the stage. It's the first movie that shows the cops, the criminals in parallel, moving in, you know, moving along the same track. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Along the same case, which is, you know, finding M, getting him off the street. Well, it's also interesting too for 1931 how sophisticated it was, but how how um, it trusted the audience to be intelligent enough to follow yeah. the sophisticated things that existed in real life. And what I mean is, a few weeks ago, we did a, an episode on, on Dolores Del Rio, and we, we talked about a movie from 1934 Accused. called Accused. And it was so bad. It was so yeah. bungling and, and, and glued together. And here we have a film from three years earlier and, and just the third year into sound motion pictures. And, and it's showing you exactly what it, the, the mechanisms behind a, a night watchman not making his rounds, mm-hmm. the, the building having an automatic alarm, the ticker tape going off in the police station, the right. police going to a file and pulling out a blueprint to figure out exactly mm-hmm. where that alarm is. With just enough information, just enough information given to you yeah. that this all just it all just falls into place and you know exactly what's going right, on. Right, because it could actually be over expository, which happens which too often in these things. Often, yeah. yeah, but actually it, it gives you a lot of information without feeling like it's spoon feeding you. It's 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 right. trusting your intelligence as an audience member. Right. And I think that's a sense in which Lang well, it just it doesn't happen almost at all in any modern director, but Lang was one of those directors who was A approaching it as an artist yep. and and but not as an educator. He wanted you, he trusted, yeah, like you were saying, he yeah. really trusted his audience to be able to, to have opposable thumbs. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Be worthy of, and be worthy of the subject, you so, know? So the last third of this film takes place in a factory where mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, and I don't want to give away how exactly um, um, Peter Lorre is tip, finds out that he's being followed by these right. sort of criminal element who are after him, as well as the police. Mm-hmm. But he tries to hide out in a, in a warehouse 
um, that's locked its gates, essentially. Yeah. And so now the police are, are, are nope. sort of, t- at some point, they're tipped off by an alarm. Right. But first, the criminal element finds him, and so they're searching through this building. So the last They're tearing this fucking warehouse. Piece this by giant piece office looking building for this guy. warehouse. They're yeah. tearing it apart, floor by floor. Just going every every step of the way, which is the last, the which guy. is the last third of this film, is just in that warehouse, mm-hmm. like uh, just slowly trying to find this guy with yeah. stethoscopes and drills and all all the tools used usually for safe cracking and so forth. Yep. The criminal element is trying to get rid of this guy. Yeah, it's yeah. a very like the IRA has this approach, right? Let's we'll shoot um, shoplifters before the police can get to them so that the neighborhood <laughs> understands we are in control here. And so it's a little mm-hmm. bit of that element as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I thought you said IRS for a second. I was like, oh, Well, also, yes. Not quite as mean, but yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Our good friends at the IRS are not mean. No, we love them. Please, <laughs> please, oh, God. No, but but this is, but but yeah, the way they tear this thing apart, like one, yeah. one they're worried about this, oh, there's a bank in the building or something like that. And they're yeah. like, oh, we can't go through, you know, there's, there's all this wiring. And they're like, go through the ceiling into, yeah. the, into the bank below, you know? Yeah, they just—it's just—it's really fantastic. And when they catch him, oh, that is now understand. Fritz Lang has the—he um, had this quality of of, of his uh, approach. He wanted so much realism that he kind of—he kind of was—he kind of endangered the life of some of his. Are you serious? Oh yeah, no, he's really famous for this kind of thing. Oh, I don't so, know. So so there is this visceral terror. Yeah. And this struggle just to pull him because he fi- he finds his way into the back of the storage bin. Yes. Where some of the people have put like old furniture and all like yep. that. He's in the back and suddenly they flash the light and you just see him. And there yep. I've never seen terror and, and you've never seen a struggle like that. Well, that's what Peter Lorre is such a great actor because he really doesn't have a whole lot of lines in this film. He, it's almost, yeah. almost all visual until the very end, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about maybe, I guess, what, what comes up there. But you oh, yeah. you told a very interesting story to me. Even though I, it's forbidden, it's forbidden to tell, talk about films outside of the microphones. But Tom can't help himself uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, about um, <laughs> Peter Lorre and his life later on with small spaces after he made this film. Yeah, because well, uh, because uh, he was a Jew. Lazlo Lowenstein was his was his name. Uh, he was a Jew. He was a Hungarian. He moved to Germany, and that's where he got famous as an actor. But he had been acting in Hungary before that. Came to Germany as a Jew at a very bad time. Let's be honest. Later on, he needed. He would, you know, when he got away, uh, he escaped to the United States. He had. Um, he 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 basically was smuggled out on a ship, and and one of the ways that that he would they smuggled him out. He uh, he was like in this like a cramped area, like a hiding yeah. spot in, yeah. in a ship, and he was in there. Uh, and he did. He uh, he did not enjoy enclosed spaces, yep. and he had a fear of rats as a result of this. Yeah, now, this is an apocryphal story I've been told. So yeah, I think it's really a there sort are of a few attached thing. to Peter Laurie, and it's one of he's one of those guys where I'm not that concerned with the truth of the story. That he's such an yeah. interesting guy. <laughs> For instance, another one is that he was a heroin addict. He was a, a morphine specifically addict mm-hmm. um, for all of his almost, almost all of his, his film career. Yeah, um, and one of the few actors that didn't like then have a break down and get better or die of it or anything he simply Banished was it. a morphing addict and and worked through it and by that I mean worked on set through mm-hmm. his addiction and mm-hmm. then just shot, shot up afterwards he was a functional morphing yeah, exactly a functional morphing habit. Yeah. yeah no absolutely great so um, and just what a 
What a fucking, what a great acting tour de force. It really is. It's one of those, I don't know that it makes it into my top whatever, you know, maybe 25 or something, but but um, it's mostly because I just forget about it. Yeah. Even though it's in the, like yeah. the AFI top 100, it's like the third man. It's one of those films that I f- just forget about sometimes yeah. until it's brought up again. It's one of those movies that is, it deserves any place it has in the top 100. Yeah. If you, I can make that argument for that for this movie uh, it being anywhere on that list. I can yeah. I can make an argument for it being number one or five. Uh-huh. Um, I can make it for being that on my list as well. But it's not one of my favorite movies. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. it's not something that immediately suggests itself to well, me. It, it probably has to do with the fact that it's a German and it's a Fritz Lang. And I kind of, because of my, my, my experience with him and Metropolis, you know, mm-hmm. sort of, I'm a little bit jaded on that one there. But fuck, it's such a good movie. And, and, and you see Peter Lorre as being... What he was, which is, he could have been one of the great leading actors of all time. Well, we'll talk about that in a second because um, a co- three years. Well, and, and I think we can close on M. I don't even think we have to talk about how it, the last scene of M. I think I think just well, I kind of do want to talk. Okay, about it. go just for because it. there's some interesting history going go on for it, around go for it. it. All right, well. so it ends in and the criminals catch him. Yes, and they, they take him to the basement of the factory. Take him to the basement of the factory. They put him on trial. He's got his own. He's got a defense attorney. One of the criminals. One of the criminals. And 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 the and it's really interesting because the criminal makes it known that he's like uh, you know he's going to give you the best possible defense. And he does because they all believe in having a good defense, right? Or they or they presume to. That's that's the, their conceit, even though they're not. It's really a kangaroo court. You know, there's really sort of no way. There really is no way they can let this guy go free. And one of the things he does is he'll, he'll give a, a, an initial excuse and, one, and a criminal will say, you think we haven't told that one ourselves? <laughs> like, <laughs> but one of the things that's really interesting is, again, um, Fritz Lang's love of verisimilitude, of, of, of realism, is that th- that crowd of people in that basement, yeah. those were all criminals from Berlin. Right. I think about 15 or 20 of you them You mean were. Hollywood producers? Waka waka. No, uh, the Eurythmics. No, they were uh, they oh. were they were all like petty thieves from Berlin's like underworld. Uh-huh. Like he just went out and got a bunch of extras off of the street, and a bunch of them were arrested. I think during the filming. Oh, this, yeah, during during the filming. Okay, of this giant cavern that's just like covered wall to wall with all these thuggish looking ugly dudes, and that's another thing too, man. Nobody in this movie looks pretty. Right. Ugh. I mean, M is the best looking person there, and it's Peter Lorre for fuck's sake. <laughs> he's pudgy. He looks like a kid. Yeah. And he, during his defense, he acts his nuts off. He looks like the wax museum figure of himself. Yeah, he kind of does. He looks, uh, he looks like like the Care Bear version of him in the cartoons. Too. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those old Bugs Bunny cartoons. Yes. Okay, so so skipping right. now, I want to go forward three years to 1934, mm-hmm. and a still. You know, producing and directing in England, Alfred Hitchcock yes, sir. calls upon Peter Lorre mm-hmm. um, to star in The Man Who Knew Too Much. The Man Who Knew Too Much. Which is one of those interesting things because I think most people, if they know The Man Who Knew Too Much, know the 1956 remake oh, and yeah. probably think it's the original, the right. one with James Stewart mm-hmm. and, and Doris Day, Que Sera, Sera. Well, let's talk about that in a minute. But at 1934, so I'm going to start by saying this. Here's a legend about about um, Peter Lorre. Peter Lorre, uh, you know, Hitchcock was already you know making his bones yeah. at that by 1934. Right, right, right. And so um, Peter Lorre was anxious to work with him, but Peter Lorre spoke almost no, no English. Mm. And the legend is that each night he would memorize his lines phonetically, yep, and then find out what they meant. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, what a what a brilliant guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right up there, I got to point out that he did the same thing with, with a fellow Hungarian junkie. Uh, what's his name? Um, Boris Karloff. No, not Boris Karloff. Um, Dracula. Bela Lugosi. Bela Lugosi did the same thing for, for Dracula. I didn't know that Bela Lugosi was Hungarian. Uh, yeah, he was Hungarian. And he didn't speak a word of English during that whole thing. That was During all, Dracula? During Dracula. That was Stop. all doing the same thing, the phonetic, the phonetic learning, yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, anyway, so... Uh, uh, 1934, Alfred Hitchcock, the the man who knew too now, much. It's. Oh, I'm sorry. I just have to say before we go any further on yeah. this, I want to point out. Uh, I would love. I want to watch this movie on a good print of it. Yeah. The print I got, which was off of YouTube, and who knew it was going to suck, was pretty much shitty. Okay. So bad that I knew it was a print problem. <laughs> Let's put it that way. All right. That's that's fair. Well, you I guess. don't understand. <laughs> okay. We, we understand. You're not following me. You're Jessa. breaking the fourth wall beautifully. I I appreciate it, but. Uh, but in any case, um, it, it's really the story of um, a, a couple traveling. In, right. in the remake, it's Morocco. I think they're in it, in Italy, in the Swiss Alps or something. They're right? in the Alps in this one, yeah. Okay. And See, that's hard to tell. Yeah. So, <laughs> they're in the Alps. Uh, it's, a, it's a father, a da- father, wife, and daughter combination. Yep. Wife. It's so complicated. So silly. Uh, the wife is a, uh, is a skeet shooter. She's a world champion skeet shooter. Yeah. She's there for a championship. Uh, her child is a nonstop shithead throughout the entire movie. And yes. Messes up her chance at winning. So she, she, and she, she laughs it off. This is what's wrong with kids today. It started in 1934 <laughs> with this parent who didn't correct her child for fucking up her skeet shooting With a, with a gun butt to the, the bridge of the nose. Yeah. Oh, you little... Anyways, yeah. that... Anyway, so uh, so anyway, she fails at that, and then but they're they're great, you know. They're 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 going to be Nick and Nora about everything, and they're going to sure. go to a little party later on. They hanging out with a friend of theirs uh, who is assassinated right in the middle of the party. At yes. which point he hands over a key and some instructions to the lady, the wife. Right. Right. Who hands it off to her husband? Basically, I thought you meant the content, but okay, go ahead. Oh yeah, well, That's no, basically, yeah. So and with with the instructions that there's some, there's a, in a brush in his room. There's there's something. You yeah. Know, so she hands it off to the husband. He runs up to the room, gets this gets this this slip of paper. Yeah. All right. Cops show up. Wife shows up. Mm-hmm. They've got this thing, but they're not going. They're about to turn it over to the to the proper they authorities. Get a little phone call from the uh, ass- would be assassins, right? Who have their who have Actually, the at uh, that point they are assassins. You're right. You're right. Who they they've absconded with the, the child. Yes. They're they, holding the child hostage. Red chief there, so that they can get that. Information from them, but they but from the parents, and the parents can't tell the police. I mean, it's the same story. Hitchcock didn't it's change the, the story, and then right. he, he changed does, location. Yeah. Um, no case for Ross or Roth. They fucking got almighty. No, I gotta tell you, man. The most insipid song of an insipid decade. And and so Peter Lorre plays the head of this crew of assassins, yeah. essentially. And and what is very similar is, is it does end up, and I think the Royal Albert Hall in this one as well, mm-hmm. and they're going to assassinate that dignitary. During a particular portion of a symphony that's playing, like during the symbols. My understanding, also, I think it's the same symphony. I seem to remember reading that. Okay, so I, I mean, I don't know. Look, if you didn't follow that, I'm not. We're not going to re-explain it. Mm-hmm. I'm, let's just dig in here. I fucking hated this movie, <laughs> and I kind of, I kind of uh, like the remake. And I know it's got Casarosara, Doris Day, and I. It's got its sort of schmaltzy. It's not one of Hitchcock's best by any means, mm. but it's in, the, the remake is enjoyable. I, I think it's the first case where I I prefer by far the remake over the original. See, okay, I'm going to go. Okay, here's the thing. Um, first off, Hitchcock got better with age. That's for sure. Yep. It's definitely going to be a better movie just because he was a better director. Okay, but but Tom, let me but, just interrupt that by saying this is six years later he did Rebecca. 
Look at the refinement between Rebecca and this film. The difference between oh. this film. I think the real difference is in the, is in the print. I mm. really think... No, the editing no. is... Dude, the editing in this fucking version, the version that I saw was so... Just stinky. Well, I don't know what you saw, but the but the editing wasn't the problem. It was it was the it was I could I saw an old print as well. Comedy the combination of the editing and the How acting you know was, wasn't great. The acting you, wasn't great. What made you aware that there was edited poorly? <coughs> um, just because of the way actions like sort of bounced off of each other. But like, that's that, you sure it's not Hitchcock? No, that's I'm pretty sure it wasn't because yeah. he because he was still Hitchcock. I mean, a, he was still a little. talented. You're you're a man who knew nothing. Take that. <laughs> <laughs> Turn the lights on, you can see my tongue falling out. <laughs> okay, like you, man. Um, no, he's. Um, but I just, I think, I think I attributed a lot of it to the print. I would love to see a much better print. Okay. I think the Criterion is going to come out with one. And if I could spend fifty bucks on a movie that I'm not all that thrilled about, then I'm, at some point I will get this and rewatch it. But yeah, um, not a. Yeah, it wasn't a great movie. I, I give it a thumb it. sideways. Like That's being generous to me. I just, I just don't think it was well made for Hitchcock. It's, it's incredible, and it is. That's the thing. It's for a Hitchcock. You're like, well, I mean, you have a, the expectations. It's an incredibly. Yeah. It's a, it would be an incredibly pedestrian. Any other yeah. British director from that time period who didn't have a career after that. Yeah. Of, you know, okay. Yeah. That's fair. It has yeah. context for sure. Um, that being said, well, what about our star? What about Peter Laurie? Let's talk about him in this. I don't think he was very good. I mean, he the, was, the I legend was... makes him seem amazing mm-hmm. that he was memorizing it phonetically. That I, I appreciate who he is, but I, just you know, he wasn't menacing at all. He was. They did an interesting thing. They tried to make him severely menacing in like an almost a weird sort of mythological way. That weird scar, hair stripe combination that he had, like looked like he'd been hit by lightning or some fucking thing. It was just. It was. He, he did. A, they did a weird makeup yeah. job on him. And you can see one of the things that comes from having M be your great breakthrough role is that he didn't, it, it was very hard for him to break away from the sinister bad guy role. He was stuck doing that. He was basically. Well, he will eventually, I think, Tom. Well, I believe we're going to be talking about it. Un senor. But yeah. Um, yeah, not a great movie. And, no. and, and a rushed ending. Like you could see the like, yes. let's pack it all in. We've got all the. Everything comes together. It had another humor it all that the remake had. Do you remember in the remake where um, James Stewart gets the wrong address and he goes to a taxidermy shop? Mm-hmm. And there's this fight between him and a guy, and there's a stuffed leopard between them. I don't remember. It's that. hilarious. It's been a long time since I've seen that. You could have made that up right there and, and told me that. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's skip forward to Hollywood now. We've been from Germany to England to oh, yeah. Hollywood, nineteen thirty-seven. <laughs> in oh god, I'm thinking. I'm, is it? Oh, think fast. Justin. Think fast. Sorry, think fast, fast Mr. Mr. Moto. Uh, this is a, the first of the series of films starring Peter Lorre. There were eight of these damn things as a Japanese. I, I would say sleuth, but but he's like a, a spy, super spy sleuth. It's it's his hobby, by the way. Basically, yeah. <laughs> so we have a Hungarian actor in an, in a, an American English speaking film mm-hmm. playing a Japanese man, and like, go ahead. In the and in the first like ten minutes of the movie, he's he's all of those things, being a Japanese man pretending to be. Uh, oh, an Arab, an Arab. yeah, <laughs> and with every single aspect <laughs> of it, managing to be the compelling, craziest stereotype. The glasses, like Coke bottle glasses. He already had weird teeth, but it's like, oh yeah, it's just, it's. I mean, I mean, it's it is truly offensive. By the way, I should just say a truly offensive caricature of a Japanese, uh, yeah. like, oh. whatever. Yeah. So, you know, but but 
Yeah, go on. Well, okay. So, I mean, I was going to say we could talk about what this film's about, but That's di- he's finding looking for diamond smugglers. That's well, the I certainly movie. watched it. <laughs> I did too. I paid, I paid close attention, but I don't know that I could really tell you much about what it's about. It has a sort of young playboy, you know, ne'er do well mm, um, scamp, if you will. Yeah, right. Who's on the ship? His father owns the the. The, he should have been in a Dolores Del Rio movie from the previous week. <laughs> but, but the thing is about this, I mean, it, I don't know what else to say. People get murdered. He finds out. There's mm-hmm. a lots of crazy karate, like really crazy karate. Where, well, it's jujitsu, <laughs> is what it is. Well, just, but like, he's like throwing people over his shoulder every time, every time he turns around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like violently and like, like, so, and, and again, you can see, you can tell where like, it's it's bad special effects where he's doing these these moves yeah. and people are flying all over the place, but it's sped up just enough you could tell that they're they're legitimately speeding up the speed of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's to got, get some of the effects. It's got that very Scooby Doo like I you know Scooby Doo esque like uh, I think you'll find your answer in the lady's purse. You know, like and there's the clue and it's it's so ridiculous. Uh, it's I found a new I, I swear to God I found a new guilty pleasure. I love it. <laughs> so, this so. Movie, I mean, it is racist. There's no question about it. Oh, yeah. um, the plot is absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I've also about Peter Lorre in this film and The Man Who Knew Too Much. Um, later on and all through the night, Peter Lorre has a move. And the move is he likes slamming lids on people's hands. Really? He does it in like half a dozen movies I can think of. Okay. I think it's method acting. Peter Laurie style. Sorry, I didn't mean to go down that that side road, but when we were on the wonderful Mr. Moto, uh-huh. I mean Peter Laurie apparently made a bundle in Hollywood when he made these eight uh, Mr. Moto films right. in like the late '30s, and well, he kind of hated it. Oh yeah, and I like the fact I would point out the fact that well, first off, okay, it is it is racially insensitive certainly yeah. uh, to your show a little, bit. Uh, a little bit, but but it's also like it's like these are the noble qualities of the Asian gentleman, you know. Oh, he's it's, very likable. He's ex- he's extremely it, smart. He's absolutely the smartest and toughest person in, uh, in everyone in any of room shows. that he's in. Yeah, he's very likable. He's mm-hmm. got a, a very dry sort of sense of humor. Yes, um, he doesn't take a shit from the capable. white man. No, it's not. It's it's not racist in that sense. Yeah, it's just kind racist of that he has buck teeth and, <laughs> and coke bottle glasses. He's being like horribly condescended to by some white shithead on, and, the, on the boat. And it is your right. This is like the first thing. And he just he just judo rolls the cocksucker. Yeah, <laughs> no, he so. stabs a guy, throws him overboard because <laughs> he doesn't like his the cut of his jib. <laughs> no, it's it's the, the like you mentioned the the uh, Dolores Del Rio thing. It's it's not that that the the minority uh, actor. Or character in this caricature, case is, is caricature is is made to look stupid. It's that it's just so interchange. You can see the interchangeability in Hollywood's eyes. Like yeah, well, he's yeah. Hungarian, so we could pass not, him off as a, heavy, a Japanese. He's got heavy lids. That's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but, but and the thing is, is he's charming. That's oh, one thing. Yeah. What he brings to all of these. Oh, it's so fucking weird to say that, particularly about M. But even in M, there's this charm that underlies him. Oh, totally. That comes through every single time. He's just a compelling person to watch, do whatever the fuck he's doing. Uh, Mr. Yeah, I, like I said, I, th- I have a new guilty pleasure, and it's Mr. Moto movies, I think. i got to watch the rest of this thing. Oh, and I did want to point out that, you know, <clears throat> it was ultimately a sympathetic portrayal of a Japanese person, and they stopped making them in 1939 rather abruptly. Oh, yeah, of course. Wonder why. Oh, yeah. Well, and, it's, and, I mean, look at like uh, 1943's Across the Pacific. I mean that that the 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 character. What do you mean, Joe? Yeah, good American Joe. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's insane. But what were we going to do? I but guess. the other thing is, Mr. Moto was definitely trying to capture like you know Americans. Um, the, the whole thing it was it was a movie because Jackie Chan had stopped. They'd stopped making Jackie Chan movies. 
who was the, the, the Chinese, the Chinese um, Sherlock Swiss. Holmes, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With number one son and all this kind of stuff. I've yeah. actually never seen a Jackie Chan. Uh, I've seen no, a Jackie Chan movie. Not Jackie Chan. Charlie Chan. We said we were saying Jackie Chan. No, I said Charlie Chan. I said Jackie you Chan. Said Jackie Chan. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we sorry. did this all the time. Hey, they all all those movies look the same. I get it. Oh my god! How dare Tom, you, Joseph? What son the of a fuck? Fish bag. Son of a fishball. <laughs> I really enjoyed this episode. Oh yeah. I, I again, I it could be the worst episode we've ever done for all I know because it's it, it's in the hearing. But but I've enjoyed this episode, and oh. I, I I attribute it to the fact that we've done it almost in the dark. Right, I don't have to see you. I can just sit here and imagine a grown man smelling your childish shoes. Right, and God I can, damn it, that's a terrible. I image, can pretend man. that the other voice is just in, the bad Joe, the dumb Joe. Head, yeah, 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 the dumb, the dumb Joe that's nevertheless filled with a certain wisdom. <laughs> you want to do some business, Tom? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> fart joke! So late in the episode. <laughs> yes. Hey, uh, we've got a Patreon page. Please yep. join us on that. Uh, we've got iTunes. Yeah. We'd love to get some. <laughs> Let's keep those those dollars rolling in, man. Yeah, all five of them. Bring yeah. them on. Every, yeah. Come on, everybody. You know. We, yeah. We're worth at least a dollar. By the oh, way, I've noticed. This. Oh God, please. I don't know. At some point, this you might. First of all, I, I'm sorry to interrupt He's you, but up the business. But um, oh, SoundCloud, which is they go out of business. They might go out of business. So we might have to transfer this to something else. And and SoundCloud has a counter, and it's become very clear that people are listening to us less and less as each episode. Goes well, that's on. because you keep talking. I'm saying. Oh, sorry, Tom. Gosh, darn it. Mm. So, anyways, uh, join us on SoundCloud. Ultimately, we, we're getting our. We, we prefer our audiences to be in prime, small prime numbers, if possible. Yeah. Uh, and join us on uh, iTunes. Give us a give us a review. Give us a rating. Uh, pretty please, and um, mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, outstanding. You know what? I I um I know that. You often you're Tom's a stand-up comedian. He often does gigs, and so um, I would do you just do say your this: sketches, Tom. Why don't you just give him your um, your website so they can um, see the dates? Absolutely. Check me out on TomSmithComedy.com. That is TomSmithComedy.com for all your. If you could make that longer, uh, more confusing. No, I'm trying to make it as unconfusing as possible with a name like Tom Smith. Come on. Okay, that's pretty rare. All right. Is that it? Um, yeah, absolutely. With the Phillies on film. I'll see you, Mr. Motto. <laughs>